<laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How y'all feeling? How y'all feeling? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this is really, really dope. This is. Stop it. Sit down. Sit down. You guys are amazing. You guys are so dope. Um, yeah, I'm AJ, and welcome to the 107 Live Show. And uh, this is the Sudden Change Report. All right. First thing we're going to talk about, we are going to talk about the success of the Colorado Buffaloes of the last week. We're also going to talk about the Ravens win over the Houston Texans and the injury to J.K. Dobbins. We're going to talk about the trouble in Tennessee and why people are trying to still defend Ryan Tannehill. And we're going to go outside the lines for a minute. We're going to go talk about. We're, 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 we're going to talk about some disturbing racial comments made by Alabama fans during the Texas Alabama game. Now, I am your host, AJ Jones, and this is the 107 Live Show. All right. If you like the show, please subscribe. Uh, in the near future, we will be uh, taking uh, Cash App and PayPal, you know, to, you know, help further the cause to create better content and, you know, you know, get just, just share the podcast so we can grow the numbers and grow the fan base. All right, here we go. So the last two weeks, the Colorado Buffaloes have made themselves relevant in the college football scene. And the reason why this is a big thing right now is because number one, they were one and 11. Number two, they've had two winning seasons in the last 17 years. Number three, they have a coach by the name of Deion Sanders. And he said, and I quote, we're coming. And I'm bringing my bag. I'm bringing my Louie. And he definitely brought his bags because Shadour is there. Who came from Jackson State. The I love. Travis Hunter is there. Who came from Jackson State. The I love. And also Shiloh. Who is also at Jackson State. The I love. For those of you do, for those of you who don't know, I played football at Jackson State in the early two thousands, and 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 that was the probably one of the best experiences of my life, you know. Ah, oh, but Jackson State was that was it was going through some rough times, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Now, everybody and their mother was basically looking for coach Sanders to fail. And they, first of all, they shocked the world when they pulled off the win against TC. 45, 42, they shocked the world, but it wasn't necessarily them getting the win. 
It was how they did it on offense. The quarterback, Shador Sanders, four touchdowns, 510 yards. And um, he had four receivers with 100 yards. <sighs> yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's just kind of scary. That's that's a nightmare for a defensive coordinator. I'm just gonna be honest with you, you know. And you know, people like Lee Corso are stuck in an age where you take over a team and you pretty much are going to deal with players who are not gonna like you. Because it's not the system that they know. The coaches that they liked are no longer there. And you're just going to make it happen. Now, I understand to a certain degree where Coach Corso is coming from. But recruiting with the advent of the um, transfer portal has added another level to recruiting and building a roster. So um, as a coach, I, I coached for, I coached for, I uh, coached college ball for four years. I coached uh, two seasons at Langston university. I also coached at, uh, I also coached at a couple of uh, post high school uh, prep schools. And one thing that I can honestly tell you, when a coach inherits a program that is, let's just say, um, let's okay, let's just say, let's just say at the high school level, okay, at the high school level, you don't have the you don't have the freedom or the liberty to, you pretty much have to take the kids that come implement your system and pretty much work them into the system to the point to where they buy in at the college level. You don't have the restriction, you know, because of recruiting now teams, like if you inherit a team that's 0 and 12, 1 11, 2 and 10, that's, that's more of a culture thing, especially if that team has not won in over a decade. Like that's a culture thing, you know? And so what Deion Sanders did, he came, he told, he came in from the gate because what, what players tend to do when a new coach comes in, uh, what players tend to do, if they're, if if a certain player was a starter, they automatically assume that, their spot is going to be set. And in them making that assumption, um, they tend to not take the new coach seriously. And so what ends up happening, that player and that coach eventually in that player in their reluctancy to buy in or, you know, um, what's the word? to, you know, abide in the program, um, that player is probably going to rub some coaches the wrong way eventually. That player is going to think he's above, oh, I was here before you got here. And, you know, some coaches will 
kick them off the team. But you, you know, with, you know, different regulations, it would NCAA regulations, like, to be honest, like, there are a lot of quote unquote political recruits at a lot of schools. And that is the reason why coach Sanders came. He literally came in and cleaned house. And the problem that I have with coach Corso is that he did the same thing at Jackson state. Nobody said the word, said a word. Nobody said a word. And Jackson State saw results immediately. Immediately. And then what happened the very next year? He signed Travis Hunter, the number one overall recruit in the country. Now, why is it important to clean house? Number one, you had, you know, the former quarterback who had a lot to say when he said Shador was coming and he felt that, you know, he earned a right. First of all, you had 12 games to show your school how good you were and how you were going to help them win last season. And I believe the previous quarterback was Kyle Orton's son who used to play for the Kyle Orton, you know, formerly of the Chicago Bears, his son. I mean, Kyle was okay, but like, what did his son do the whole time he was at Colorado? That is the question. There, there, was, there was nothing really to show for it. It won one game. And so Coach Sander comes in, use the transfer portal to build the roster. Now, I think there are what? 15, 20 players from last year's roster that are on this year's roster. And if you sit and think about it, like most of those guys are fresh. Most of those guys are sophomores and a couple of juniors sprinkled in there that and nine times out of 10, I'm willing to bet money. Those guys were like, you know, backups. And they're accepting that they've accepted their role. Now, a lot of guys aren't going to do that. All right. Now, let's, okay, so let's get, okay, let's get the Shadur's numbers that are video game like. Shadur has thrown for 900 plus yards, six passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and he has not thrown a pick yet. All right. Now, let's talk about Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter has 180-plus receiving yards. He has one touchdown. He has, I want to say, five pass breakups and an interception, and he's played almost 200 snaps. He's like at 100 and somewhere between 189 and 192. He's played uh, almost 200 snaps. And, you know, once this team, I mean, the defense, they they put it together. The defense played really, really good. Um, but you, they have to get better on the uh, – they have to get better defend playing the run. 
that is something that, yeah, that is something that uh, this Colorado team has to get better at is playing the run. That is, that is going to, that is going to eat them alive. You know, that's going to put some unnecessary pressure. And that also this offense has to get better running the ball because that's going to free up Shadur to get downfield a little more and even, you know, ignite that play action pass game, which is deadly by itself. All right. So we're going and uh, staying with college football. Um, Texas beat Alabama. And I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of, um, I saw a lot of memes on Twitter earlier talking about, man, uh, this Ewers kid is the latest Ohio State transfer to beat Alabama since Joe Burrow. And I was like, wait a minute, uh, didn't Cardell Jones beat Bama in the playoff? Back in 2014, 2015, last time I checked, yeah, Cardell Jones beat Bama, and he was there. He didn't transfer. Like, yeah, <laughs> and people, but the meme was, shouldn't Ohio State technically, technically get credit for this win? And you know, it, it's a it's a crazy irony. You know, it really is. You know, you know, Cardell beat him. Then a Ohio State transfer, Joe Burrow beat him. Then another Ohio State transfer, Ewers. Yeah, it's 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 been unique. But to be totally honest, um, Alabama should have gotten beaten last year. It, Alabama was one play away from being beat last year. One play away, literally one play away. Now, um, we're also now we're going to get into the NFL right now. Um, it was a very, 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 very interesting week one. You had the Detroit Lions beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Amon Ra, man, that what well, that dude eat. He got me some good points on fantasy. I'm not gonna lie to you, but Detroit played played a pretty good game. Like I, I ain't gonna even hold you. Like Detroit played a really really good game. You know, then you and then um, also you had uh, the Ravens being victorious over the Houston Texans, twenty five to nine. But in the process of all of that, they lose J.K. Dobbins uh, for the season with an Achilles tendon injury, and that's a gut punch, man. That's a that's a huge hit to the run game. But you know, um, I think they're going to be all right. Um, they've they've had problems at the running back position consistently over the last what two three years. Um, but um, I, I think I think everything's gonna every I think everything's gonna be all right. Um, and uh, the Cowboys um, just melee the Giants forty to nothing. Um, uh, 
that defense in Dallas, uh, Dan Quinn, great plan. Great plan. Demarcus Lawrence was everywhere. Um, he was playing like a hungry kid. He was just swallowing. He just Daniel Jones was just getting eaten. Like he was, he devoured him. Like it, it was just. Whew. I just, mm, I just want no parts, no parts. <laughs> Uh, I just want no parts of that. Well, no parts of those shenanigans. Um, yeah, that's um, yeah, I wanted no parts of those shenanigans that are um, Yeah, I want no parts of those shenanigans because uh then and then you had uh man, I, I don't know what even I, I can't even talk about that no more. Oh, uh, and then there's trouble in Nashville. Why? Cause Ryan Tannehill should have been cut two years ago. This dude do not know what he's doing. Like he is a journeyman backup at best. He needs if Tennessee doesn't cut him, he's going to lose them a lot of games. Like he is not that guy. You got, you got D hop, man. You got a, you got a decent group of receivers. And I don't, and people are still trying to defend him. Like, Okay, so I was raised. I grew up. I I I live in Tennessee. I grew up in Tennessee. Been raised in Tennessee, off and on. I am bothered for several reasons, and the part of the reason why I'm bothered, there are people with a straight face telling me, "Oh, he's 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 still good. He's still good. He's just hitting a rough patch." This rough patch is three years old now. It's three seasons. Like, you know, and it didn't help. Like, it didn't help that you had an offensive coordinator that didn't know what he was doing. And then on top of that, he was drinking on the job. Um, Yeah. You know, so Ryan Tannehill has to go. You you can't keep my whole thing is you got two backups that are legit talented. They need snaps. They need like I don't understand why they're trying to hold on to this dude. Like is I don't know what the like it's almost the equivalent of the Dallas Cowboys holding on to Tony Romo. Romo did nothing during his career. Like he did nothing. And it just bothers me to hear people talk about him. Like he's just an amazing quarterback, which that is false. Um, but like, is it going to be Willis? Uh, are they going to bring in Kaepernick? 
Like, who are they? Like, who are they going to get? Uh, are they going to try to lure Brady out of retirement? Is somebody going to reach out to Andy Dalton? Is somebody going to reach out to Drew Brees? You know, because those are some of the rumors. I'm not going to say rumors. Those were some of the behind the scenes things that happened last season. Yes. Uh, what was the other guy? Philip Rivers. Like, are are these guys going to get? My whole thing is because of what Brady has done, Brady has retired and come back twice. Is that the new thing now? They're going to reach out to retired players and bring them back, you know, for one last, one last go. It, it, that, that seems to be the thing now. Um, but Tennessee has to figure it out. You know, this might be their last go with King Henry and, yeah, that's another thing. Uh, I think I talked about it on the previous episode on how running backs, the the running back market has not been consistent since 2015. One year, the, the market is up. Next year, the market is down. And if you really sit and think about it, the price teams are paying for quarterbacks also affects the other positions on the field, quiet as it's kept. And guess what? Patrick Mahomes, with his deal, you you know, Patrick Mahomes with his deal took it up a notch. Then Deshaun Watson got his deal. And Lamar Jackson now has his deal. Uh, Josh Allen got his deal. You know, so you have all these different deals, you know, going, you know, and it's all. And then, so like, like a lot of like it indirectly has a effect on the high, higher sal uh, other positions having higher salaries. Now I spoke. Now we're going to talk about, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna go beyond ball for a second. Beyond ball is where we're gonna talk about cultural things that are tied into sports. Not right now, it's not just football, it's not just basketball, not just boxing, it's not just baseball, it's whatever. But we're gonna go beyond ball for a minute. All right. This Beyond Ball segment is going to talk about Alabama fans yelling racial slurs at black players from Texas. And what this really tells black players at Bama and other schools, if they know about it or have heard about this. Now, I was um, I was recruited out of high school. I was a, I was what they call a tweener. Um, you know, I'm six, you know, my natural position was tight end, but I played a lot out of lot. I played out of position a lot, but I was also very, very athletic. And when I say athletic, um, I ran a four, five, nine, 40. I was when I, uh, in the peak of recruiting, 
between my uh, junior and senior year, I was roughly 245, 250 pounds, um, played fullback, played tight end, played tackle, played guard, uh, played a little bit defensive end, played defensive tackle. Um, I went down on special teams. I could block punts, um, a little bit, of all of that. Um, the thing that, okay. So I, uh, you know, I had only like maybe six, you know, D one offers FB I had six FBS offers. Um, but of those six, I only had uh, three power five. They were uh, Texas Christian, uh, University of Nebraska. Uh, well, on, only two power five, Texas Christian and University of Nebraska. All the rest of the schools were, you know, you know, Rice, Middle Tennessee State, University of Hawaii, um, New Mexico State. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, that's what I had, you know? So I did not go to, I did not go to any one of those schools because I didn't feel right on the campus. I didn't feel comfortable on the campus. And a lot of people are probably thinking right now, well, why don't you feel comfortable on that campus? Well, when, well, me, I'm one of those people, if I'm going to go somewhere to do a job or to learn or to be in school somewhere, I want to be in a place where I will feel at home, where I can leave my hometown and come to this other place and feel like I am at home. For me, that was going to Jackson, Mississippi and attending Jackson State University and Langston Universities for undergrad. That is what, that is the reason why I chose HBCUs because there was another thing. There was another reason why I didn't go to those schools. If I went to University of Nebraska, I would not have learned to fully understand myself as a big black man and my culture as a black man. I would not have been it. I would not have under like when I was my freshman year, my first two weeks at Jackson state, I quickly learned that I did not have patience for my own people because of where I grew up and who I went to school with. I didn't go to an quote unquote, all black school. Like I went now, my school was probably the most diverse school in the city, but at the end of the day, it wasn't an all black high school. The only time I could honestly say that I spent a lot of time around black people outside of my house was at church. And that was it. Now, a lot of time, and I, and I, and I, and I and me and my mother have had conversations. My mother and father are from uh, Tunica County, Mississippi, which is Robertsonville, Tunica, Mississippi. All right. Um, it's a small town, roughly 
I'll say four or five thousand people, if that. But um, I can honestly tell you, like, I've had conversations with my mom even since I've graduated. You know, this is what I graduated in 2000. So 23 years within the last 23 years, I've probably had a good solid eight to 10 conversations with my mom saying, I really wish that there were times where I wished that my mom and dad had moved back to Mississippi because I wanted to go to an all black school because I wanted to go to Rosa Fort I like I, I wanted that. Like I, and I honestly, and I was, I was mostly wishing that when I was in middle school, shortly after my dad got out of the military, that was that, that was actually the perfect time. Like, I and it was it was if and two and two things I could uh, and it, with me it would have been two things it would have with me it would have been two things one I would have been cool going to school at any of the black schools in Mississippi two I would have been cool going to any black high school in Memphis at that point. And then with me being, I, I, and I, I was telling, and I was telling a, I was telling a friend of mine, like, like, and one thing I love about those black high schools is that one thing I love about those black high schools is that when it comes to college, a lot most of most now most of your black guidance counselors at these black high schools they're going to tell they're go, like if they went to HBCUs they're going to rep those HBCUs hard like if I'm like most I'm pretty sure most of the black guidance counselors at the high schools in Memphis or in Mississippi especially in the Memphis area they probably went to Jackson State uh, Mississippi Valley, Alcorn, Tennessee State, Lemoyne Owen, Lane College, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Philander Smith College, Harriet Stowe, Harris Stowe, Kentucky State, uh, Fisk University, King College. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying, like. When you're a black, when you're a football player at an HBCU, you are never gonna hear a fan base hitting you with those different racial undertones. You're never gonna really go through that, and I'm gonna tell you the reason why. Number one, black college fan bases know at the end of the day, it's all love. We here for each other. We can rip each other all the time, but if somebody come at them, like for instance, uh, a fr- I, I am a f- like I love Langston University. Langston University, like they took me in. Like I didn't come in there. Like there are people, like when you transfer to a school to get an education. There are people 
there are people. Oh yeah, I, I came here from. Oh yeah, I came here from University of Texas. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you looking down on I'm like, okay, and I came from Jackson State, but you here. You are here. There's something special about this school. If you left Texas to come here, you know what I'm saying? Something drew you here. And when it comes to black athletes playing at HBCUs, like at HBCU, you are a crown jewel. You are, you, you're a crown jewel. You are the school's best. You are one of the school's best resources. You are a, you are part of, you are part of the recruiting tool. You are part, you are part of the, you are part of the culture. You are now one of the faces of the university. But for some crazy reason, when it comes to HBCUs, for some crazy reason, black parents are attracted to shiny things, especially parents that are around my age. But let's just say between parents between the ages of 35, let's say parents between the age of 35, let's just say 35 to 45. Parents who have college age athletes their parent, the parents, a lot of times are attracted to shiny things. Oh my goodness. My son is getting recruited by Notre Dame. My son is going to be on TV. And that is the only thing the parent cares about. They're not looking at the cultural side of what Notre Dame, of, of what Notre Dame has in South Bend. They're not that what one thing they're not going to tell you about Notre Dame is that Notre South Bend, Indiana is a Catholic city, a predominantly white Catholic city, a predominantly white blue collar Catholic city. Now, if you just happen to be a black athlete and you're playing ball at Notre Dame, You you pretty much gonna be. I mean, if they don't know that you attend Notre, if the people in the city don't know who you are, and you attend Notre Dame, you're pretty much gonna be looked at one of the black kids on the other side of the tracks at the school. Now, me on I'm I'm and I'm gonna use myself as an example. I'm you know coming out of high school. I'm six four and a half, six five, two fifty five, two sixty. They are, are they're going to assume two things if I'm on campus. They're going to assume I play basketball or they're going to assume that I play football. Now, the second assumption is more inclined to be right. But outside of that. They're not going to outside of that, if I didn't play ball. Nobody would even know I'm on campus. If I didn't play ball, that's the difference. See, at an HBCU, even though if you're an athlete, you're going to be seen as a face. You're going to be seen as a face on the campus. 
and you know you are you're you're just you're not just a number at an hbcu like you are part of the culture you are part of the people you are part of the university like you are actively that now the people that were saying the things that they were saying at the game go back to the ghetto go back to the ghetto now, what that now, if I am a University of Alabama recruit at the game and I'm hearing that, I'm instantly turned off. Instantly turned off. Cause on the backside of that, that's cringy. And let me explain why. That person low key said, our players. Are not like you guys. Our niggas are better than you niggas. You guys can go back to the ghetto. That's pretty much what they were saying without saying it out loud. And the reason why I can say that the way that I said it as a high school coach. I've heard people say that in the stands to the players that I was coaching when I was coaching in Oklahoma City. My team played a team called Enid out of Enid, Oklahoma. We won the, I'll never forget, we won the game 35 to 10. My defense played lights out. My, I was very, very proud of my D line. Great production. Um, as we were as we were scoring that last touchdown and as me and my coaching me and the coaches were coming down from the press box and we're going down i heard somebody say how did these niggers beat us these niggers aren't that good like mind you this is 2016 this is 2016 in Western Oklahoma. Where we were in Enid, Oklahoma. And that like hearing those comments at the Texas hear those comments at the Texas Alabama game, it took me back to that moment. And you get to see the here's a here's the thing about playing D1 college football for a black guy. See, if you go to a Texas or an Alabama or Texas A&M or University of Georgia or an Old Miss or Mississippi State, true enough, those home games, you're going you gonna to get you going to get the good side of the fan base. But see, what you're not going to hear or see all the time is the dark side of the fan base. Where you hear, or let's just say you're, it's a home game at your house. And let's just say a player from the other team gets a penalty for, you know, a late hit on the quarterback or something like that. And let's just say the player that did is black. 
Get out of here, N-word. Get out of here, nigga. Get out of here. It's going to be instantly cringeable. Instantly. Now, with that being said, the question that I have and the question that I ask is that how in the world do you as a player with good conscience play in front of fans that don't like you as a person? It ain't even about the school no more. It's about you and your culture and you as an individual. How in good conscience, how, how do you in good conscience play ball for this university? And they feel this way about the people you go against. And let's just say you decide to transfer or leave the program. Oh, over the years, I've heard Bama say some nasty things about players that left their program. I've been in those message board rooms. Those comments are very, very telling about how this country really is. And sporting events just happens to sporting events just have the apt and amazing timing of bringing the bringing the true feelings of how people feel out. Yeah, there's some sudden changing going on and some people act like these changes never took place and that's just the honest god truth like if i'm a if i'm a black player at bama and i hear about the student section of the school that i'm playing for talking about other black players from the schools you just played it's going it's going to do something to you if it doesn't I, you know, everybody's different. I don't know how to explain that, but I'm just saying it, that does something to you. Like it really, really does, especially if you've grown up in the South and you've been, you know, followed by police. If you've been followed around a store before, like it does something to you. It really does. And that's, you know, this is beyond, this is beyond ball. You know what I'm saying? These undertones that are happening in this, these microaggressions, like you can't, you, you can't, um, you can't just zip past, you just can't zip past these comments and things as if not, they, as if they were not just said, like you can't speed past them. Like nothing happened. Like, these things happened. Period. But um yeah, that is the sudden change report. This coming week, Colorado has Colorado State, which is going to be probably one of the second most important games coming up. Like You know, like there are some good there. There, there are some there are some good games coming up. I'm just saying, there are some good games coming up this coming weekend. 
um, especially in the SEC. I think there are a couple in the Big Ten. Um, I believe, and I believe conference play is going to start this week in certain conferences. Um, yeah, so what we got? All right, so Friday. Oh, Friday, you have an S, uh, ACC matchup between Virginia and Maryland at Maryland. Um, oh, wow. The cheapest tickets, $8. Okay. Now, okay, so Saturday. What? Okay, so the games I'm looking at, I'm looking at LSU, Mississippi State. Just to really see what LSU is going to do. Um, it's not even about what misses. It's more along the lines to see, you know, how good, how good is Pitt, how good is LSU really? You know, and then you got the matchup with Penn State and Illinois, uh, Louisville, Indiana, you know. Uh, okay, you got Georgia and South Carolina. Um, Oklahoma's playing Tulsa. Like what? What is the big? I'm trying to find. This is this is this is getting ridiculous. Oh, okay. This is what I'm talking about. So we got number eleven Tennessee taking on Florida. Man, and this game is going to be jumping. And this is a rivalry game. It's on ESPN. It's a 6 p.m. kickoff. Uh, the lowest ticket, $103. And it's in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. It's in the swamp, baby. That's going to that's gonna be one right there. Oh, yeah, that's going to be one right there. Okay. And then you have Georgia Tech and Ole Miss in uh, Oxford. You know, Ole Miss is number 17 in the country. Um, then you, oh, you got Pitt in West Virginia in Morgantown. That look, oh, that game go, that game look real good right there. That's another one. Of course, you got, and then of course, you got, uh, you got Colorado State in Colorado. Um, and then you got Houston and TCU. At Houston, um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be some pretty good games going on. Yeah, it's gonna be some pretty good games going on. Uh, nobody's really gonna watch Texas and Wyoming because Texas is probably gonna put up forty or fifty. Nobody's gonna watch that. But yeah, um, uh, if you guys like this show, please subscribe and. You know, when we finally get our PayPal and stuff set up, you know, please feel free to donate to the calls, you know, the 10 7 live show. So um, until next time, I am your host, AJ Jones. And thank you for listening to the 10 7 live show. Please share, like, and subscribe. And uh, you guys be easy, people. Take it easy. All right. I'm out.